Welcome to the Production First Mindset, a podcast where we discuss the world of building code from the lab all the way to production. We explore the tactics, methodologies, and metrics used to drive real customer value by the engineering leaders actually doing it. I'm your host, Liran Khemovic, CTO and co-founder of Rookout. Hi, Neta. Welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so it's uh, great to be here, and thanks for having me. My name is Neta. I'm a co-founder and CTO at Parametrics Insurance. We're a two-year-old startup uh, based in New York, Tel Aviv, and now opening offices in Germany as well. A little bit about myself. I'm actually originally from California, worked in the Bay Area. I was a developer there and then a team lead. I moved to Israel, met my founders, and together we founded Parametrics two years ago. So what's it like? How do you insure companies against downtime? So everything is predetermined. We determine how much uh, payment or compensation there will be per every hour of downtime. And then we monitor the services that we're insuring. So if a company is based on cloud, let's say based on AWS or Microsoft's Azure, we'll monitor those clouds and we'll know exactly how they're performing and more importantly, when they're not performing. When they're not performing, we compensate instantly. So actually, our insurance doesn't have a claims process, which is probably the biggest pain point uh, <laughs> in the insurance industry and why it gets such a bad reputation. So how, how do you go about that? How do you build an insurance that has no claims, that you automatically detect when something bad happens and how much should be insured? So that's where technology steps in. This type of need for this insurance existed beforehand, and insurers knew that this was a pain and that their customers were losing money, but they couldn't insure it up until we came along with the technology. And the way that we eliminate the claims process is we monitor the services that we insure all the time, in real time. So we know exactly how they're performing, uh, what their availability is like, and more importantly, when they're not available. And then we tie that back to the infrastructure of the customer and we know who's down at the moment and who's not. So essentially, you're trying to monitor all cloud and third-party providers out there. All SaaS, PaaS, and IS. I mean, how do you go about that? You have to make sure that you're up when everything else is, by definition, going down. Yeah, exactly. That's our bread and butter. So availability is one of the most important aspects of our technology and of our business, and it's probably our top goal. We need to be up, and our mission-critical services need to be up when everything around us is going down. So redundancy is key to everything we do. Uh, we map out our redundancy across the third-party services that we do rely on because We rely on the cloud as well. We rely on third-party services. Buy versus build is a good thing. You just have to know how to prepare for it. So we map out all our dependencies. We have an amazing uh, Neo4j graph uh, that kind of shows all of the dependencies that we rely on and also globally all services that uh, rely on other types of services. So we have this cool map. If you ever want to see it, <laughs> I can show that to you. Um, so we know where our pain points are in availability and we put redundancy in those areas. So for example, we're spread across multiple clouds. Mm-hmm. And so if one cloud, it's not even one region, if one cloud goes down in its entirety, which 
that's a really extreme case, but let's say it's possible that that can happen. We have basically an active active across mm-hmm. to another cloud. I mean, an entire cloud going down might sound super scary, but what may more likely go down is, for instance, their network infrastructure between data centers. That's something that we've seen happen to both Amazon and Google. Over the past few years, network switches or configurations are corrupted and all of a sudden traffic is going nowhere. Yeah, so network going down for us is downtime in the cloud. It makes no difference what the reason for downtime is. If your service is unavailable, that to us is downtime. And as you're designing your application to be so resilient and so cross-cloud and multi-cloud, how does that change your design process, your coding process, your development process? So when we look at redundancy, we look at how we can create a general template to something that we can duplicate across whatever we want to be redundant across. So for example, we step away from anything that is, you know, vendor locking or anything that is technology that relates to only one cloud. So for example, uh, if we're talking about AWS, we won't use ECS. Because we want to be on Kubernetes and we want our Kubernetes to be similar or as close enough to the exact same across all the clouds that we deploy. So that's just one example about how we think when we go to design our, our systems. We're actually hearing a lot about Kubernetes these days. Everybody's using it, everybody's adopting it, the brand new. But we're not seeing as many companies actually use it for multi-cloud because it's kind of I want to be able to do multi-cloud. You guys are actually doing that. You're actually deploying for multi-cloud. Yeah. We're deploying for multi-cloud because the bread and butter of our company is catching downtime. And so I understand the use case of most companies that don't need to be multi-cloud. And I agree with that. I don't think every single company on the face of the planet needs <laughs> to be uh, spread across multiple clouds. I do think that they need to understand where their weak points are and just understand what their you know, maximum SLA agreement with their customers can be. And if they want to improve that, then they'll know you know, where those points of improvement need to happen. You know, we hear about nine, four nines, five nines, six nines. A company needs to decide how many nines they want to abide by and then map that out and understand how they can reach those nines that they're mm-hmm. trying to reach. Um, but maybe three nines or four nines is good enough for a company. And then really there's no no use case for multiple clouds and redundancy across mm-hmm. so many different infrastructures. Actually, I think that's one of the most heated discussions nowadays. I mean, everybody wants to be five nines. And if you ask the business, they're always going to tell you our customers are asking for it. We always have to be up. Downtime is unacceptable. And yet downtime is kind of acceptable, sometimes unavoidable. And we're often not understanding enough of the implications of trying to achieve higher nines. And that can have a huge impact on engineering. How do you see companies about go about trying to balance those out? Yeah, so we are uh, kind of in a competition uh, against who can achieve the most number of nines. And I think in most cases, the percentage that companies kind of display is not actually the percentage that they achieve, uh, which is unfortunate because you are making a promise to your customers. 
And today, availability is one of the most important aspects of a product. And customers really are impatient when it comes to downtime. And it's understandable, right? Because we're in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are solutions and customers want the service that they're paying for to be reliable and to be available because that's what they paid for. So I understand trying to reach all of those nines, and I think it is something that companies should keep in mind. It is important, and it is something that should be communicated to the engineering teams because once they understand the importance of it and that availability impacts the customers of the product that you're developing, it will be something that they keep in mind, and they'll point out maybe Mm. even the weak points, and it doesn't have to come from someone else. And so the chase across nines is understandable. I don't think we'll ever be able to get to 100 (laughs) as long as humans are writing code, Mm -hmm. I'd say, because in the end of the day, most downtime events are actually due to some configuration error bug or some human error of some sort. Mm -hmm. What matters is how fast you're able to get back up onto your feet and how kind of automated your redundancy is across these systems. Do you ever see companies are saying enough is enough? We can do buy with two nines or three nines. We don't have to go all the way. That's good enough for us? Or is kind of everybody going in that chase and failing to identify their uh, real thresholds? We do see lower numbers of nines. I think it's the more old-fashioned companies um, because really what determines is where you put your customers. And if you put your customers first, then you want your product to be available all the time, 24-7. And so companies today are trying to reach, you know, as close to 100% availability as they can. Um, And it is possible. And really what matters is what you do when there is downtime. So you need to try and avoid downtime as much as possible. But when downtime happens, you need to have a solution as well. How quickly do you get back on your feet? How do you communicate to your customers what happened? How do you compensate them in our case insurance? And really, how do you stay calm and collected in this type of situation and get back up on your feet as quickly as possible? How do you see companies preparing for those downtime events? Besides, obviously, buying insurance, which is the number one option. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if it's the number one option, but it's the easiest and quickest solution that you can do. Anything else will just take time and, you know, development power, uh, which is something that not all companies can afford to put the time aside for. How do they prepare for it? I think they only think about it when downtime happens, which is a bit unfortunate. Mm. You know, after one major outage, they'll prepare for the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes until it's, you know, it's on your doorstep, you don't really think about uh, mm-hmm. the next downtime. We've seen the rise of the chaos engineering practices over the past few years where companies are kind of trying to stage those downtimes, trying to prepare for them, trying to understand how the failures in their dependency graphs might affect them. Yeah, we hear a lot about chaos monkeys and chaos engineering. I think it's great. I really think that, you know, don't be afraid of having downtime and kind of setting yourselves up for the situation. But where it makes the difference is when there is downtime, how fast do you respond? And also in a way that your customers see that you care. Chaos engineering, I think, is is great. Unfortunately, I think only maybe the bigger companies can Mm. really put it to practice. Um, I personally haven't seen too many small companies, you know, have a chaos monkey that's taking things down in their system all the time uh, in production. But, you know, 
something that I think we do need to work towards. Yeah, it's a lot of time and effort trying to put those practices into motion and to monitor them mm. and see how they impact the system as a whole. One of the key problems we're seeing in the industry, I'm sure you're seeing that often, is you want to use a service, but that service doesn't offer the uptime you want or doesn't offer the availability you want. How do you see companies going about that, evaluating products for their availability, and what are the trade-offs you have to make? Right. That's a great question. So, for example, let's say that your company has four nines of availability and you're evaluating a service or a third-party service that you want to use that only has three nines. So, in that case, you're only as strong as your uh, lowest SLA agreement, um, and, and that is a problem. In cases like this, first of all, it's something that you need to be aware of. If you're evaluating a service and you don't check what their availability is, then you're basically, you know, setting yourself up for failure because uh, potentially it can be lower than your own availability. I think a company is set up with three options in this case. One is don't use the service, <laughs> look for an alternative. The second one is use the service, but lower your own availability, which is also not a very good use case. And the third one is use the service, but have a plan for redundancy for this specific service. So we see this a lot, uh, for example, with uh, CDN services, right? There was the Fastly outage that happened a couple of uh, months ago that brought down a big chunk of the internet. <laughs> what we see with CDN services a lot is that there will be redundancy between Uh, CDN services. So you'll use Fastly and have redundancy to Cloudflare, for example, or Akamai, or any other service that is similar that will back you up. And then you'll have that buffer <laughs> of availability. Setting those ups can be very tricky. I mean, setting up two CDNs and being able to fail over between them, that's no small feat. It depends on the service. I agree that sometimes it's not as easy as it may sound. And this is something that a company needs to take into consideration if they want to keep those four nines or five nines that they're mm -hmm. promising their customers. It's just, it's a trade-off. One of the tricky parts about SLAs is they're not always clear. Sometimes you're running in the cloud, you're seeing API errors, you're seeing issues. Sometimes you're seeing what you're perceiving as downtime, but on the status page, you're just saying everything is green or we just have minor errors. And that your experience might be very different from what the cloud company or the service providers are claiming. How do you see that? How do you go about reconciling that? Right. I agree that a lot of the service providers don't show the entire picture on their status page. They'll round some of the corners sometimes. And I think in this case, you just need to have good monitoring on your production. You need to see what your customers are experiencing at all time and just be aware, you know, that they are experiencing these issues, even if it's not on the service provider's status page. Also, status pages are something that I think are evolving with time. It used to be something that didn't even exist. And today, Almost every company has a status page. So I think it will improve with time. The clarity and how genuine a company is with their customers. I know that we monitor every single service that we ensure, and we definitely see that the numbers in the status page is not always as it may seem. We are releasing uh, the Parametrics Downtime Index because we're already monitoring all mm -hmm. of these services. So We have this data and we are able to show this. Um, so this, that's something to kind of stay tuned and mm. follow along uh, for the Parametrics Downtime Index. Sounds promising. Share a bit more with us what's going to be in the index. 
So the downtime index is basically going to show the real numbers of downtime based on the data that Parametrics collects. So Parametrics looks at a couple of things. We look at the direct monitoring of these services. So we monitor these services globally uh, from different points around the world to see, just as you mentioned, like networking errors that can potentially occur. And so we directly monitor these services that we insure for the automated insurance that we're providing. The second thing that we look at is, in fact, how the service provider itself kind of communicates these problems. So we do look at status pages and at health checks and internal notifications that we get from the services themselves, uh, and we compare those and, and line those up. And the third thing that we look at, and this sometimes gets even the highest weight, is the user report itself. So there's a few different data points that we look at to gauge how the user reacted to this downtime or to this incident. And we see if it was something that affected the user or not, right? Because downtime can have different levels of how critical it is. So if it's something, potentially there could be downtime, but if the users aren't affected, it really isn't as severe as if the users are affected and they notice it within the service. Now, you're developing your application, you're deploying it quite extensively. You're deploying to multiple cloud providers, you're deploying it, as you mentioned, to various points across the globe. How is it like, how is it different to deliver that code to so many different places? It's all within the configuration. Again, I think it's not complicated as companies may think. Again, we're running on Kubernetes, and that's something that you see within all clouds. Uh, we've built it in a really generic way where what's running in each cloud is very, very similar, and it's quite easy, actually, to deploy. Although I don't think that most companies really need this type of deployment because what we spoke about a little bit earlier is that, you know, if you don't have the use case of needing super high availability and being up when all others are down, this might not be the use case for you. I know people are chiming in a lot about the challenges of multi-cloud. I think two of the key points that are often raised is one, the database management, because you have to manage databases, but they're mm -hmm. different for each cloud. And you can also manage them yourself on Kubernetes, but that can also be a tricky endeavor with stateful set and all of that. How do you go about managing your databases? Right. So that's one of the things that in this point in time, uh, we don't manage ourselves. So basically what we have is uh, replication, um, which, which can be a little bit inefficient at times, uh, especially cost-wise. But that's something that as the company grows, we will take in more and more of the configuration of these services instead of using managed services in this case. I think that the databases is not really um, the biggest issue. I'd say maybe one of the bigger challenges is the monitoring across all of these different services and across all of these different platforms and being able to really see the big picture and see how all of these services are working together and communicating with each other in an efficient way. So monitoring for us, I think, was a bigger challenge than the database replication. How did you go about monitoring your multi-cloud applications? So I think that's still something that we're looking for a good solution for. We haven't quite found one yet. We monitor them individually and then compare, but we are looking for a good solution. So I'll keep you posted. Speaking of monitoring, how do you make sure that you're up? I mean, kind of, you're trying to make sure that you're monitoring everything around you. Right. You don't want to rely on too much on anything. How do you know if Parametrics is up? Have an 
a great alerting system. It all goes back to that monitoring. So monitor yourself, have a great alerting system, really understand what the metrics are that your system is producing and what those metrics look like when there is a problem or when there is a potential downtime. One of the key challenges we're seeing as the cloud grows, as SaaS companies grow, is that we're seeing more and more interdependencies. You as a company, as a SaaS platform, might only have three dependencies, probably a lot more, but you might only have three, but those three might have dozens behind the scenes as the tree unfolds. How do you see that impacting the future of availability? Yeah, so we are very interdependent on one another, even if it might not seem so at first. So if I'm using your service and a different company is using my service and you go down, then I go down, then they go down. So you have this type of domino effect where we do rely on top of one another in this case. So really, we all have, and all the companies that today do have an SLA to uphold, we all have kind of this joint responsibility, kind of similar to COVID, where if we all get vaccinated, then you know maybe COVID will not be as big a problem. But if everyone says, you know, everyone <laughs> around me can get vaccinated, I'm not going to do it this time, then we're not going to reach that end goal. So it's kind of this joint responsibility where we all have to be responsible for uptime and for availability because we have services that rely on top of ours and other services rely on top of theirs. And it really creates this kind of interdependent mesh, which we have actually mapped out. Uh, <laughs> and it's quite interesting. It goes back to one of those graph databases where we have this mapped out interdependent web where you see all of the services and how they rely on top of one another and which ones have redundancy and which ones don't. Uh, and it's actually quite interesting to see how you know, all of technology basically is being built together. How do you go about mapping the dependencies of other services around you? So basically you're asking, how do I know what your infrastructure is like? For instance. Okay. A lot of the infrastructure um, is something that you can see, I'd say, on the surface. A lot of the things, if you're able to access the networking layer, then usually you can figure it out. A lot of the times we just ask. We have a lot of customers that we insure, and so we know what their infrastructure is like. There's all sorts of tricks, like going into LinkedIn and seeing what the employees are, are good at, and then you know, you know kind of what services and what technologies the company is based on. And so there's a lot of tips and tricks to how to map this out. But a lot of it is actually just based on the customer base that we have, and we know what that infrastructure is like. You've mentioned you're seeing a lot of progress in insurance, you're seeing a lot of change, you're seeing a lot of adoption in the need for insurance for availability. Now, where do you see Parametrics growing? Yeah, so Parametrics is growing fast. And today we've basically conquered external downtime insurance. So third-party services going down and the financial losses that are tied to that, removing the claims process, which is one of the biggest pain points in insurance. And now Parametrics is moving towards 360 downtime. And so we're looking at internal downtime as well. We're looking at taking the parametric model, which is the model that eliminates the claims process and 
implementing it in other lines of insurance because we already have technology that enables us to use this model in an efficient way. So we're really looking to make insurance a better place. A lot of it around the claims process, a lot of it around holes in insurance, like, for example, internal downtime not being covered, uh, and really protecting businesses from a financial perspective. So if I was a SaaS product, I would be able to get insurance for my internal downtime as well, not just for AWS going down. Yeah, potentially, yes. What would it be like? It would be, and our line is always to keep the claims process out because we really think that that's what takes a long, long, long time to process these insurance requests. And when businesses go down, they need the money to recover quickly and they need the money for their own customers. So the claims process is something that we're adamant about keeping to a minimum, if not to completely zero. And so it would be, you go down, doesn't matter what the reason is, if it's internal, external, uh, as long as it's not, you know, something that you've done on purpose. So it needs to be, you've gone down because of a bad configuration or because of a bug that you didn't foresee or whatever it may be, uh, then you're covered financially for the losses. That would be great, kind of knowing that you've got things covered and you're not going to Things are going to already be bad if you're going down, so you might have at least somebody on your side. Yeah, we're definitely here for the business side. And I think most of the insurance industry actually is, although they don't have that type of reputation. A lot of it is due to the claims process, which really has this conflict of interest that doesn't create a win-win situation for both sides. And so removing that is key. But we're getting there because we're using technology and because technology is advancing in these directions where almost everything today is digital. Then you're able to see the full picture through monitoring and through, mm. you know, no exactly what happened in the event without needing to investigate after the fact. There is one single question I like asking all my guests. I mean, you've been around, you've worked on many things, you've founded Parametrics. What's the single bug you remember the most? Oh, good question. So the single bug that I remember the most was actually one of the sparks for Parametrics. So uh, this ties in well. There was a bug that we worked on back when I was working in the Bay Area that we worked on it for a couple of hours. It popped out of nowhere. We didn't really know what the problem was. We had downtime, unfortunately. <laughs> And after a couple of hours of investigation, we realized that it was due to third-party service that we were relying on that was down. And this was before the days of status pages and transparency. And it wasn't something that... that you know, was surfaced to us until we had found uh, the issue ourselves. And so this kind of problem of downtime, especially when relying on third-party services, uh, was something that even back then was a problem. I won't name the service because they're <laughs> good friends today, but it is something that with time, at least transparency is becoming better and there are solutions for downtime. And without that transparency, you had to dig through the system, kind of find the breadcrumbs. Yeah, we were going through logs and logs and logs, and we didn't really know what the problem was. Everything on our side seemed to be working fine, but we were still down. Yeah, so it took a while. Troubleshooting can be hard. I agree. Thanks again, Eta. It was great having you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always good to see you, and I had a great time. 
you know, we're growing at Parametrics and we're looking for amazing people to join us along for the ride. So if there are any listeners out there that want to take a look, we're, you know, growing like crazy. So now is the time. So check out Neda and her team at Parametrics and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. So that's a wrap on another episode of the Production First Mindset. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Let us know what you think of the show and reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Production First. Thanks again for joining us.